Could extraterrestrial intelligence have intervened in the development of life on Earth in order to bring the human race into existence? A new book, well published in 2020, argues that yes. I review this book and more in today's Spectral Skull Session. You are listening to the Spectral Skull Session, tales from the twilight world of myth, mystery, and imagination. The idea behind this podcast is that we explore claims about the occult, supernatural, and paranormal from an analytical standpoint. We're open to the existence of a world beyond the five senses, and we dismiss that dogmatic skepticism that insists that any story about the unexplained has to reduce to hallucinations, or swamp gas. But we're not committed to any particular theory or philosophy about what the paranormal is, and we realize that, whatever is out there, the answer is likely to be more complicated than any existing model or theory. What we bring to the table is small s skepticism, a skepticism that we throw as much on the mainstream accounts as we do on the supernatural story. Okay, let's get started. Welcome back. Today we'll be talking about Bruce and Daniela Fenton's book, Exogenesis, Hybrid Humans, A Scientific History of Extraterrestrial Genetic Manipulation. A little bit about the credentials of Bruce Fenton and why I picked this book. So Bruce Fenton's bio says he's a British multidisciplinary scientific researcher, explorer, and author. He's been featured on both the History Channel and the Science Channel. Well, I know him from... Um, his work with the Discovery Channel, he was down in Georgia, where I am, the nation of Georgia, some years ago, and he did some work in the Borjomi area investigating giants, apparently. There's credible reports that at one point they had found a giant here in Georgia, and he was down here working on that back in uh, 2014. Now, I was in Georgia, and I was sorry, I was in Borjomi, uh, in the summer of 2021 and uh, climbing around the mountains. I did not have any Bigfoot or Sasquatch type encounters at that time, but it did seem to me to be an enchanted place. And so I'm open to the possibility that something unusual took place there. And then Eric von Deineken, who's the, uh, the man who wrote Chariots of the Gods in 1968, the big book that got us all entertaining the idea that aliens intervened in human history and that ancient encounters with aliens explain a lot of the artifacts scattered around the earth from statues that have almond-shaped eyes and oval-shaped foreheads to the archaeological achievements of the pyramids of Giza and ziggurats in South America and the Babylonian area. Um, so that whole ancient alien thing goes back to Eric von Deineken. You know, so he wrote the foreword to this book, and I thought that was a pretty high credential to have Eric von Deineken write the foreword for your book. So, And then, of course, the book said, the advertisement that I read was that it had uh, scientific evidence of alien intervention in the human genome. And I was like, well, scientific evidence, I gotta read this. I love it. I love it when people have scientific evidence in favor of esoteric paranormal, supernatural hypotheses. That's very exciting. So here we go. I picked up this book actually about a year ago, even though it was published in 2020, uh, because it promised to be the first book that argued for intelligent design 
the view that the human race did not evolve naturally, but that the human race was engineered by an intelligent force. It was the first book I'd ever heard of that um, argued for intelligent design without being an explicitly theistic book. So instead of claiming that God invented the human race, this book argues that, well, aliens, extraterrestrial biological life forms, ooh, they might not be biological, we'll get into that, that they created the human race. One other quick note is an aside, Bruce and Daniela Fenton are both listed as authors of the book, but when you read the book, it appears to be Bruce doing the speaking and so I often talk as though Bruce is the author. I've also had some conversation with Bruce on my blog, so I feel more confident that Bruce is the appropriate person to treat as the author of this book. He often says things like, my wife or Daniela, blah, 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 things happen to her. So he's speaking of her in the third person and of himself in the first person. So I think Bruce is the appropriate person to refer to as the author of the book. All right, so I actually already put a uh, book review of this on Medium, if you want to check that out, try Googling We're Humans Engineered by Extraterrestrials and um, Exogenesis, E-X-O-G-E-N-E-S-I-S. -E -E You'll be able to get to that Medium article. Probably be posting uh, articles written around the show or my book, which is forthcoming hopefully within the year. And so let's get started with this book review. Uh, what do I want to say about it? Well, first of all, the book did promise me it was going to have evidence scientific evidence of extraterrestrial genetic manipulation. And I would like to report immediately off the bat that I was a little disappointed. The first half of the book doesn't talk anything about scientific evidence. At least that scientific evidence of uh, genetic manipulation. I have some notes here from when I was recently flying and I was jotting things down in a little notebook as I flew. So um, the first chapter just a review of the ancient aliens idea, Eric von Dynekin type stuff, if you're familiar with that, going back to 1968. And Bruce Fenton talks about his encounters with UFOs and his wife's encounters with UFOs. Very interesting. Chapter two, he warms us up a little bit more by talking about uh, the Pentagon's recent interest in flying saucers, UAPs, stuff you probably know about if you've been listening to the show. He does talk a little bit about orbs and... Um, Chapter 3, he gets into uh, how his wife is a psychic and a trained shaman. And uh, very sad, she lost a baby at one point. And um, he suggests in the book that perhaps the baby was abducted by extraterrestrials. Now, I may be actually be getting that wrong. Bruce and I have already communicated a little bit because of the article I put on Medium. And he's told me that I seem to be misreading some of the early chapters. There's a lot of material in these first few chapters about him and his wife having a variety of extrasensory perception experiences. Uh, sometimes he seems to describe them as dreams. Other times he talks about visions. He also talks about UFO encounters. And uh, it kind of blurred together for me. Possibly that's because I was reading the book at 20,000 feet. And um, I got the impression that this was all supposed to support the second half of the book, but uh, he told me that he himself had the only uh, psychic experience that's directly relevant to the thesis of the book that the human race was engineered by um, extraterrestrials. So continuing on, chapter three did talk about uh, the psychic dreams and experiences of Daniela, Bruce's wife. Apparently, she's had psychic dreams of a past life in the Mayan underworld and um, suggesting that humans had encounters with aliens 
back during Mayan times. Chapter 4, he talks about the science of remote viewing and says, Genuinely advanced civilizations will have some degree of control over the fabric of reality and time itself. There, he also suggests that the movie 2001 A Space Odyssey was possibly informed by elite secret insights into the extraterrestrial uh, intervention in human affairs. Okay, so let's move on. I'll get straight now to section two. Section two, the second half of the book, is really when Bruce starts to talk about the evidence for extraterrestrial intervention in human affairs. And I'm going to structure this argumentatively. So the main thesis here, aliens came to Earth and um, they came here in a crystal starship. It was a gigantic starship named Rexagena. But when they arrived here, another malevolent race attacked them. The malevolent race and the starship Rexagena duked it out in orbit around the Earth. Ultimately, the Rexagena was destroyed. But she also took casualties herself, or sorry, survivors from the fallout of that conflict, made their way to Earth. Then, sometime later, but in the same epoch or so, another race came to Earth. These were uh, a kind of police race descended from cats or felines. They're a feline race. They're not necessarily descended from cats, but they are, um, he describes them as a feline race. They came to clean up, to do a sort of policing action, because the attack on the Rexagena was illegal, violation of intergalactic law, and so they bombarded the Earth with asteroids in an attempt to eliminate the survivors of the evil attackers who had brought down the Rexagena. Now, the survivors of the Rexagena crash took it upon themselves to begin to alter the primates that lived on our planet in the hopes of eventually incarnating themselves, taking over their bodies, and thus um, having a place to go in the future. And so thus the human race was born. And so Bruce Fenton, now, he, he seems to have some awareness that this is going to sound a little crazy to a lot of us. But he says, um, you know, he came across this book. The book, Alcharinga by Valerie Barrow, is where he got this story that I just told you. And then through some of his psychic experiences, he had confirmation that there was something to this book. And then he set out to write his book. And his book was going to use scientific evidence to show the rest of us what he, his wife, and Valerie Barrow already know. So the second half of his book is an attempt to confirm what happened in the Archgena story, which the story about Rexagena, the spaceship, being blown up by evil aliens and the survivors coming to Earth and then an asteroid bombardment. So that's where the science really comes in. So Bruce tells us that what he discovered is that a number of scientifically confirmable phenomena happened around the same time in our history. So around 780,000 years ago, he found, one, evidence of a massive uh, crystal object exploding in the Earth's atmosphere. He found evidence of a subsequent asteroid bombardment. He also found evidence of climate change and a pole shift, which he attributed to that policing action 
uh, to clean up the evil aliens. And most importantly, he found evidence of human genetic manipulation. So let's go through that. First of all, the claim about the uh, large crystal object that exploded in Earth's atmosphere. So it turns out that there are these things called tektites. This is a geological reality. There are these stony crystalline objects that are scattered around the Earth in four different places. So they're called strewn tektite fields. They're large areas in which these glassy crystalline objects, which they tend to be, it looks like smaller than your head. So there's a, a strewn tektite field in North America. There's a strewn tektite field in Central Europe. There's a strewn field off the coast of Africa, and then it overlaps with West Africa. And there's a massive strewn field over Australia and Indonesia, South Asia, going all the way out to um, East Africa near Madagascar. Now, that last strewn field is the one that he believes is wreckage from the Rexagena. So the Rexagena being a crystalline starship that was allegedly destroyed in Earth orbit, apparently was over Australia, and um, now the pieces of it, he thinks, are on our planet. Now, so as I said, these tektites are real. Um, they're real, scientifically, geological confir geologically confirmed phenomena. And I should mention that the tektites scattered around Australia, uh, out to Africa, and over Southeast Asia have a special name. They're called australites. And it was very interesting to read the material he has in the second section of the book about tektites. So tektites are mostly made of silica. They're often shaped a little bit like flying saucers themselves. And um, there's really no dispute that these unusual crystal objects, they actually originate from some kind of catastrophic geological or astrogeological event. So the reigning archaeological or geological theory at this time, australites are caused either by volcanic eruptions or they're caused by asteroid impacts. But in both cases, what happens is silica from the rocky layer beneath the Earth's surface gets thrown into, into lower Earth orbit by it has to be just a catastrophic volcanic eruption or asteroid impact. These, uh, this silica goes into the air, goes into sort of low decaying orbit in space. There it's, it's initially molten, but then it freezes in the vacuum of space and then it comes back down to Earth. As it comes back down to Earth, it melts again, and it's shaped by the Earth's atmosphere. That turns it into this kind of saucer, flying saucer shape. And they're so certain about this that NASA, when they were working on heat shields back in the early days of the space program, they actually went and they sought out Australites so they could think about the physics of Earth of re-entering the Earth's atmosphere. So I confirmed this by doing some of my own checking I looked up Australia has a National Museum website about these Australites. It's a real phenomenon, absolutely. And um, so Bruce Benton's interpretation is that these Australites, they're not from a volcanic eruption. They're not from, uh, they're not from an asteroid. They're from a spacecraft made of crystal that exploded over Australia. And, um, you know, I will hand it to him. They are, don't have a really clear idea where it is 
that uh, the Australites originated from. So if they are celest, if they aren't celestial, if they're actually from our Earth, nobody's really sure uh, where they came from. So no one's ever found the impact crater for the asteroid or the volcano that erupted to put these Australites into the atmosphere. But I'm looking at a map right now from uh, Earth Science Australia that shows the Australite strewn field and just eyeballing it because they found these um, Australites in Australia and then south of Australia. They found them uh, really all over the Indian Ocean. And wait, you know, I didn't realize there was so much water south of India before you get to the South Pole. Um, but all over that area. And then, of course, all over Southeast Asia. Kind of looks to me like the impact crater might be deep in the ocean, like maybe near Antarctica. Um, and I know things go down there. What was it MH317? The uh, passenger plane went down a couple of years ago, and they're pretty sure it went down in the Indian Ocean or down by Antarctica, and they never found that thing. So uh, the water is very deep there. Presumably it was deep there 100,000 years ago too. I think that might be why they can't locate the origin of this australite field. Bruce Fenton also says that um, he doesn't think that the australites could be from an asteroid because the australites are made of quartz. Asteroids aren't made of quartz. He's absolutely right about that. But as I already said, I found in doing my research that most people think the australites are from earth material that was thrown up in the air by an asteroid or a volcano. Had to be an enormous asteroid or be moving very fast, but apparently it threw, apparently asteroids can throw material up into the, the edge of space after they hit. So uh, I'm not sure that that's really evidence, his claim that they're made of quartz, which does seem to be true, but it doesn't seem to be evidence that, um, that we can't explain tektites in terms of uh, known geological processes. The other thing he says is that so he says that there's unusual entrance trajectories known for these uh, australites. This is really interesting. Um, you are able to figure out with a fair amount of precision what angle they came down into the atmosphere at because the angle they came down in shapes their final form. They're, mol they're molten going up. They freeze in space, coming back down, they melt again. And like throwing a baseball, imagine, you know, you can throw a baseball up in the air. It doesn't come right back down on your head, but it goes at a real steep angle up and then, you know, a couple feet to the left or right of you. And, you know, or you can throw an, a baseball at 45 degrees and it comes down, you know, more at a 45 degree angle when it hits the earth. So you can change the approach angle for something like a baseball, just throwing it differently. So imagine that. So some of these australites go up straight up and come right back down. Others go out at an angle and then come back down. And so that changes the final shape they have. And you're able to figure out well, what angle they came down in based on that shape. Well, the angles don't really make sense when it comes to australites. And they haven't been able to figure it out. Like what's going on here? I, mean, I did not get deep enough into it to have a fuller sense of what exactly it is about the angles that doesn't square with the geologists. But I did find there was a controversy there. They don't have a good explanation for the shapes, the distribution of shapes of these australites. The one thing is I did not find anyone else suggesting that they originate 
from an explosion in low Earth orbit, or even high Earth orbit. Nobody seemed to be entertaining the uh, orbital explosion hypothesis. Well, let's. I would just like to say I thought that he had something there. It was interesting to say that um, there's this very unusual geological formation, very unusual geological structures around Australia and South Asia. Moving on, there's the asteroid bombardment. He finds evidence that there was a number of asteroids that hit the Earth around 780,000 years ago. Then there was related climate change that he takes to be evidence of a pole shift. He thinks that a shift in the magnetic field of the Earth might have explained or might have been caused by police action, these vengeful aliens trying to wipe out the evil aliens who are here on Earth. And um, I don't know what to say about that. There's I, I take him at his word that, yes, there was an asteroid bombardment because he actually had a significant amount of sources. I didn't look into that very deeply, though. I did look in more deeply into his final claim that I want to talk about, which is that genetic engineering of humans took place. Now, his evidence of this is that he finds a number of human-accelerated regions. These are parts of the human genome that have changed rapidly more recently. And um, these human-accelerated regions explain why humans are different from chimps. He says that the uh, human-accelerated regions were stable for hundreds of millions of years, then underwent a rapid change uh, after the divergence of humans and chimps, so very recently. Many of them around 800,000 years ago began to diverge, and these uh, this divergence explains why we look different from chimps, why we're smarter than them, why we have language abilities. And the main gist of Fenton, Bruce Fenton's argument in this book is that it doesn't make any sense that there was an explosion over Australia 780,000 years ago. There were major changes to the human genome 800,000 years ago. There was an explosion over Australia 800,000 years ago. There was a meteor bombardment 800,000 years ago and uh, changes in human the human genome 800,000 years ago. And he says, well, well, this is confirmation of the story. I heard the story first from Valerie Barrow. I had psychic visions that confirmed the story. And now I went out and I looked for scientific evidence to confirm the story. And here it is. I've got scientific evidence that confirms the story. And um, I think it is interesting. I agree with him that it's very interesting or odd that these three things meteor bombardments, weird australite field, and changes to the human genome all happened around the same time. Um, I'd like to suggest an alternative explanation for it. I think it's possible that the uh, astrogeological phenomena he's documented explains the changes in the human genome. He notices that there's evidence that the climate changed a great deal 800,000 years ago. Um, there's evidence, like he says, of changes in the magnetic fields of the earth. I was thinking that the earth probably did have a number of asteroidal impacts, possibly some kind of super volcanic eruption. That might explain why we are the way we are. Maybe there was a period of, um, of uh, biological uh, culling where many, many of our ancestors died and they didn't make it. And um, those that did were sharper than the others. And so there are evolutionary pressures all of a sudden. 
because the environment on the planet Earth was unstable, things were falling apart, only the, only the very smartest could survive. Might explain why we are the way we are. If this proxy war between the United States and Russia heats up, we could have a nuclear confrontation. We could be right back in an unstable environment where only the absolute sharpest and fittest are able to survive. And 100,000 years from now, people might look back and say, wow, there was a period of dramatic change in the Earth's climate followed by a dramatic change in the genome of the human population and what's going on here and it'll seem like a big mystery to them. They might not even be able to imagine the way things unfolded for us here. Now Bruce does say it's just too much just too many genetic changes happened to be explained through evolution. My only problem with that in the book, he doesn't compare the rapid change in the human genome to other rapid changes that have happened in other species. I'm not a geneticist myself. I don't know. Is this the is the changes that took place in our DNA 800,000 years ago, is that just the fastest thing that's ever happened in the history of the planet? If so, that would be interesting. If we um, genetically diverged from chimps and our genetic divergence was just larger and faster than any other genetic divergence from one species to another, has ever been, I would take that as yes, at least some evidence that alien intervention might have taken place. Intelligent design may have taken place. But um, I didn't really feel like the evidence came together in this book. And um, at the end of the book, I guess I'm going to say I felt a little frustrated. I bought the book because it promised me uh, scientific evidence of genetic manipulation of the human race. And um, I just felt like I didn't have it at the end of the book. He also talks a little bit about this mysterious um, chromosomal fusion event that took place that seems to have played a role in differentiating us from chimps. Apparently, again, about 800,000 years ago, um, two of our chromosomes merged. And that's why we only have 23 pairs when most primates have 24. He says, you know, it's very rare for that to happen. Sure, it's rare for chromosomal fusions to take place, but um, but it does happen because I looked it up on the internet. I found lots of species as they've changed over time have had chromosomal fusions. I don't think that's um, a blueprint of alien intervention in our genome because well, what does it mean? I, he doesn't know himself the significance of the uh, chromosomal fusion event, and it doesn't seem to me to be an obvious it doesn't seem to be a fingerprint of some sort of alien intervention, at least not obviously so. So um, I think what's interesting about this book is it's a continuation of the intelligent design movement. I read a book about 2009 called An Atheist Defends Intelligent Design by Bradley Monton. Very interesting book that argued that, um, you know, intelligent design, which is the view that something intelligent made us humans what we are, and it wasn't just evolution alone. He argues that's a scientific hypothesis. He says a lot of people want to say it's not science, it's religion, but you don't have to have a god involved. It could have been aliens. Interesting, because at that time in 2009, I don't think anyone was actually saying that aliens helped craft the human genome. And then um, another interesting thing about that book that I really liked is that Montan argues that we should actually be teaching intelligent design in public schools and science classes. He says, you know, there's nothing that would be counter to good pedagogy 
at the high school level, that students can learn the arguments for and against evolution, they can learn the arguments for and against intelligent design, and that might actually be better than just learning to memorize facts or memorize theories because they go through the process of critically thinking about, well, which theory is more likely to be true? What's the evidence for and against? What would better evidence look like? And so I really like that book. And I also like, you know, Bruce Fenton is now extending that research project of the intelligent design hypothesis by trying to make the case for alien intervention. He's added into it this thing about um, Rexagena and um, a war between aliens. It's a little bit like something that might come out of Scientology. Let me quickly say something about that. I don't know that we can really believe that Valerie Barrow received her message psychically and then later found all the evidence for tektites and australites. And I just don't know. Um, I definitely agree. When you form a hypothesis first and then later you go find evidence in support of your hypothesis, that's better than doing it the other way around, looking at the data and trying to mold a story to the data. But we just don't know, did Valerie borrow, like maybe she's been studying earth mysteries for a long time and then she crafted the, the story about Rexagena around the things that she's learned about Australites and Tektites. If the Fentons or Fentons and Barrow received some kind of psychic messages and then later confirmed them by doing research, that's something that only they will really ever be able to know. The rest of us won't really be able to have that same experience because, you know, to us, all, for all we know, they found the scientific data first, they found the anomalies first, and then crafted their story around the anomalies. That's unfortunate. That's just the reality of it. But that doesn't mean that Fenton, if he keeps doing research, won't be able to find more evidence of intelligent design. Again, I've outlined one way in this uh, overview, if we find changes in the human genome that it took place 780,000 years ago that were just, you know, balls of the walls fast, so much faster than any other species has ever changed, that seems to me like evidence that something unusual happened in our history, and I think that would speak to the intelligent design hypothesis. It is unusual that we're the only species on this planet that is intelligent enough to make a wide range of tools, uses language, seems to have a sense of self-awareness, is able to organize into a civilization scale. You know, dolphins seem to be very smart. Squid and octopus seem to be very smart, but they don't seem to have achieved what we've achieved. Um, I know there are some people who think that there's another race under the water, and I've talked about this before on the show. There might be another race living alongside us it's possible, but nobody's ever confirmed that. So um, unusual that we are the way we are. And um, I do think that the intelligent design hypothesis is one that's worth continuing to look into. And uh, I laud anyone who wants to do this research and do this work, and I look forward to seeing more of it. All right, for the Spectral Skull session, I have been Dane. Stay strange and stay sane.